thing that we get together as a group of people who don't know each other. We didn't practice, at least the band did, but we didn't. And, and yet we're singing, worshiping God because of what he's done in our lives. And, and that is something unique. And, and we really love that we gather together to worship Jesus, to learn about him, and to be inspired by his words so that we can go back out and live this week in response to the good news. So thanks for gathering together. It's significant. It's important. You gathering here is important. It's a significant part of our Christian walk. So thanks for being together with us. And thank you as well for many of you who are going through the New City Catechism. We're grateful because you're committing yourself to learning about God, committing yourself to learning about God and his words so that it can change your hearts, change your minds, transform, renew your minds, and change your hearts. And so uh, we are in the middle of the New City Catechism. We are, we've completely 16 weeks we're beginning the 17th week and so for a not to manipulate but we have a chick-fil-a gift card ten dollars it's not a lot it'll get you a sandwich maybe but we would love to if you have been memorizing this does anybody like to take a stab at reciting week 16 anybody want to do that i can't i can't i can't really see because these lights so, so whoever in the very back all right joey is that you back there all right, Joey, stand up, and, and so week 16 was what is sin, so go ahead and answer that question. Awesome, that was great, wonderful. So this is yours. I'll set it here for later. Thank you very much. All right. This week's question, number 17, it is a little shorter. This one's easy. So next week we'll have to be figure out who do we let say it. Um, all right. So easy one. This week's question, what is idolatry? What is idolatry? Let's answer this together. Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance, and security. Boy, we don't want that, do we? We, we? we want to trust in the only one who's trustworthy. And, and we need to know and recognize idolatry, not because we're going to hang up on it and we, we talk all about it, but because we're going to say, look, let not anything become an idol in my life. Let me only worship the one who's worthy. Well, turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We actually made it to chapter 2 this week. In case you're wondering if we're going to make it to chapter 2, we've made it there. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 12 this morning. Let's read God's holy inspired word today. For you yourselves know, brothers, and by the way, that anytime he's mentioning in this letter, that, that word is actually means brothers and sisters, so I'm going to say that. It's not sacrilegious, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, 
whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you would become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Oh, into his own kingdom and glory. Let's pray. God, we need you to change us. Lord, make us a people who are passionate for you and for your gospel and for your kingdom. God, let us live that way transformed by you lord revive and set us aflame in you we pray in jesus name amen let me ask you something i want you to really consider it so i i know they often will ask questions and i and i actually really want us to think about the questions that we ask so when i ask you something really consider it. let it challenge you let it sink in let it affect you and it, it might seem like a simplistic question, but it's really not. Has the gospel of Jesus Christ, has it rocked your world? I, I don't mean has it just moderately changed things. Has it completely rocked your world? Not just do you agree with it, not just do you assent to it. Have you added it to your life as one of many things that will make your life feel better or maybe make you feel better about yourself or make you think, you know what, I'm living a good person life and God will accept me. Um, no. I don't mean that. Has the gospel completely rocked your world? Has it turned everything upside down? Has it changed what you live for and what you are all about? Has this good news that God sent his only son, that he, he chose to love you specifically, that he came down to a dark and evil, a rebellious sin turn world to seek and to save the lost, the, we who were blind and deaf and dead and unable to respond and were hating God and hating one another, that God came, he sent his son to come down and rescue us, to redeem us, to pour out his grace, to show us his mercy undeserved, to give us his worth, his favor, his righteousness. Does that rock your world? Or is it just like, yeah, I hear this all the time, Matt. You talk about the gospel a lot. Could you just move on? Does it rock your world knowing that he's made you his children? And not only that, he's made you his prince and princesses, his, his, his kings, his priests in him. That he's, he's brought you, it says, into his own kingdom, his own glory. That's your beloved. And is that, is that news completely shake your world up? Is that seen in your boldness is that seen in your work in your toil in 
your willingness to endure hardship for the gospel? Are you willing to be rejected for the gospel? Are you willing to self-sacrificially give of yourself with no limits for the sake of the gospel? That's what I mean when I say, does it rock your world? Or do you say, I'll give this much, but not, not everything. I'll, I'll let church become a part of my life, and I'll go on Sunday mornings, but I'm not going to be there too much. I'm not going to be too engaged with people. I'm not going to go too deep. Or has the gospel completely transformed you so there's no limits, no holds barred? That's, that's what we need to consider. The, the Apostle Paul, he's, he's reminding the church in Thessalonica that that gospel has affected them like that. That's what he's praising God for, that, that they've been so transformed and they receive the gospel in the middle of a lot of affliction with full conviction, with joy. And that he's, he is thanking God for them. And you may be wondering, what's he doing here? Is he just praising himself, talking about why he came like this? Well, no, because what most likely has transpired is after they've left, as you, as you know, Paul had to leave Thessalonica because there was a lot of persecution by the Jews who hated Paul and they were seeking to drag him out and said they drug all the believers out. And so Paul and Timothy and Silas, they, they took off because they were concerned if they stayed, the believers there might actually be killed. And so they took off for the good of the church, not because they were afraid, so Paul's reminding him of that because the Jews are probably trying to undermine Paul as they went from town to town, undermining Paul. And the reason why they tried to undermine Paul was to undermine his message to discredit Paul and so thereby discredit his message. And Paul is saying, he's not being proud here, he's saying, no, you can't discredit me like that. And by the way, you can't discredit my message because it wasn't in vain, it was affected, it transformed, it rocked your world, it's rocked mine, and it's changed everything. And so that's what he's doing in this passage. And then he gives at least three reasons why their ministry was not in vain. He says, no, the gospel is not in vain. Our ministry is not in vain. And I'll give you three reasons why. And he, and he tells them about a boldness. Boldness in God to declare the gospel in the middle of conflict. And then he, he tells them about, we spoke to, to please God and not please men. And you know that. If we were like all those other itinerant preachers who came to town, just trying to gather a crowd, get money, move on when things get hard... We're not like that. We were bold in the middle of conflict. We didn't back away. And then we didn't speak to please men. We spoke to please God. And not only that, we demonstrated our, our affectionate desire for you. That's what we did. There's three, three ways that we see that the gospel is fruitful. Not in vain. Vain means to be empty. And so he says, our, our, our ministry to you was not in vain. You're bearing fruit, and here's why. So he's really given us kind of three, at least three marks of, of fruitful gospel ministry. Then he begins chapter 2 here saying, for you know. He's reminding them so they don't doubt the work that God has done in them. They don't doubt the validity of the message because they're doubting the validity of the messenger. And by the way, sometimes in our own lives, our gospel ministry can be affected if if our lives are not giving testimony to the gospel message. And so Paul's saying, no, my, my life wasn't like that, and you know that. You know yourselves that our coming was not in vain. God bore fruit. Our message wasn't fake. We weren't fickle. And he says, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God 
in the midst of much conflict. And so the first thing we see, the first mark really of faithful or fruitful gospel ministry, it's, it's boldness in our God. Boldness in our God. If you want to know if the gospel has affected you, rocked your world, you're, you're going to see that in the fact that you have boldness in our God. Now, I don't mean that any of us are perfect. We all get tempted in this way not to be bold because we're all tempted to fear man to back away when conflict happens. And not many of us love conflict. There's a few weird ones of us who do like conflict, but there might be something wrong with that. I don't know. Um, but he's, he's saying we have boldness in our God. And it was a boldness not to offend people with ourselves, a boldness in our God, not in ourselves, not in our own merits, not in our abilities or inabilities, but a boldness that comes from God to declare the gospel of God in the midst of conflict. And it's meant to challenge us. It was meant to challenge the hearers there. Do you have this kind of boldness? That's what he's talking to the Thessalonians. He's like, we, we didn't just drop off a tract. We didn't just tell our waitress, God loves you, and, and you know, leave a note. Those are good things, but that's, that's not quite what he's talking about. He's talking about boldness in the, in the, in the face of conflict. These weren't just random acts of kindness, paying it for without sharing the gospel either. They were, they were, it was all the above. They were working hard, laboring, toiling in the midst of suffering and conflict. And he says, you know, you know the kind of boldness we had. And he points them back. He says, you know, he says, we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know. And we still had boldness. Now, I want you to remember what they suffered and how they were shamefully treated at Philippi. He's reminding them, but you know what? We're, we're not in the book of Acts right now. But where, where he just came from prior to Thessalonica is he came from Philippi. And, and the Jews there ran him out of town. Actually, what they did, it says in, in Acts 16, in, in verse 19, it says, you know, when, when the owner's talking about how they had ministered to a girl who was filled with a demon and was fortune-telling, and they delivered him, and the owners got mad and says, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Now, can you imagine being on the city street, downtown Greenville, being seized because you shared the gospel, drug into the marketplace before the rulers, and, and, and the magistrate that day was somewhere in between a judge and a sheriff. And so you're drug into Falls Park before a judge and a sheriff, and the crowd, it says, joined in attacking them. I've never been attacked by a crowd. They were attacked by a crowd for sharing the gospel. The crowd joined in attacking them. And then it continues. It says, and then the magistrates, they saw this, and they tore their clothes off. Talked about humiliation. But the crowd is beating them. The magistrates tear their garments off. And then it says, the magistrates gave orders to beat them with rods. It says, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. A crowd of people's attacking them. Talk about frightening. They're getting, they're getting stripped naked. 
They're inflicted with blows, with rods. They're thrown into prison. It says, then, then it tells the story how the, their feet were fastened in stocks in prisons. So not only in prison, they can't move. And in prison, their response is they sing some hymns and they're praying. God answers those prayers. He sends an earthquake. Boom! All the doors are open. That's a, not a normal earthquake. And then not only that, all their bonds are, are, are opened. That's not a normal earthquake. Normally stuff falls on you. The jailer was getting ready to kill himself. They, he thought they'd all fled, but they said, no, don't, 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 don't get upset. We're still here. We're not, we're not running. We don't want you to kill yourself, so we're staying put. And so then they share the gospel, but they were so bad off, their wounds they said had to be washed before they could even baptize them. So they, they were bad off here. You know what they could have done? They could have taken some much-needed time off, and I think all of us would have agreed, hey, you deserve that, Paul. You, you need some back stateside R&R, man. It would have been understandable if they were like, hey, let's, let's, let's be wise here. Let's heal up. Let's rest up. Everybody would have totally understood it. But they said, you know, let's not draw too much attention in Thessalonica. Let's change our tactics. Let's not be so bold in Thessalonica because, boy, that didn't turn out so good for us in Philippi. But they didn't. He says, you know what we suffered in conflict in Philippi. You know what we endured here in Thessalonica. You know we had boldness in our God to declare the gospel in the midst of conflict. And this is meant to provoke us. Not, not condemn us. Not have condemnation. But, but if the gospel has so affected us, do we have that kind of boldness? In God, not in ourselves, but in God. And if we don't, then what we can do is we can run to God and say, God, would you please give me that boldness? Lord, I need your boldness to be able to share your good news. Lord, so affect me with the good news of the gospel that I won't worry about whatever conflict I might have in my family, with my friends, with my coworkers, with anybody on the street, somebody who might condemn me. Look at me badly. Would you give me boldness? Not only that, he continues on. He says, the second mark, really, of faithful ministry he gives them is not just boldness in our God, but he also says, we, we were speaking to please God who tests our hearts. We were speaking to please God who tests our hearts. That's the second mark of a faithful or fruitful ministry. And by the way, this doesn't just apply to pastors and to apostles. This applies to all Christians in ministry. All, and, and by the way, cool thing about the Bible, it, it calls you ministers. I'm, I'm actually called to equip you as ministers of the gospel. You're a minister of the gospel. This applies to all of us. Speaking to please God who tests our heart is, is another mark of fruitful, faithful gospel ministry. And then he explains to them what he, what he means by that. He says our, our, our appeal, it, it didn't spring from, from error. We didn't have some misunderstanding and appeal to you based on um, some, some new wind of doctrine that we'd gotten. This wasn't an error in response to Judaism. This wasn't an error. No, this is the truth. And it didn't, it didn't, didn't spring from impurity. What he means there is some people, some people who minister the gospel do it for impure motives. Some pastors as well, you'll find after many, many years of of ministry that what was really going on is they were manipulating women to try to be with them. That was true back then, it's true today. And he says, no, we, we didn't come to you with, from error or impurity, no attempt to deceive you. We lived out in the open, and he says, but we were approved by God. 
We were entrusted with this gospel. And so we speak not to please man, but to please God. What does he mean we're approved by God? Paul knows that he was completely unapproved apart from God. Paul knows he had no approval prior. In fact, he was hating God. He was persecuting Christians, and God did not approve. Jesus stops him. He says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And then Paul was converted dramatically. So Paul says, what? I know now that I've, I've been approved by God and I did not deserve his approval. I was hating the church, putting people to death, persecuting Jesus. I wasn't approved, but now I'm approved in Christ. I've been approved by God. That affects him. And then he says, I've been entrusted with this good news, this gospel message. The one who was speaking out against the message Speaking out against all those who followed after the way, as, as, as Acts says. And now he says, I've been entrusted with this treasure. This transformative message that changes hearts and minds and lives and renews and sets captives free and opens blind eyes and opens deaf ears. And I've been entrusted with this message. And so I speak not to please man, but to please God. Say, God, because you've, given, because you've given me your approval, because you've entrusted me with this message, God, I want to speak for you. Does the gospel affect you similarly? If it does, you can be sure that that, that will empower and enable you to fruitful, faithful ministry. As you, as you speak the gospel, not, not worrying about pleasing man, but to please God. But you know what? All of us are tempted to please man. We're all tempted to say, you know what? I don't want to shake things up. I don't want to stir things up. I don't want, to, I don't want people to reject me. I don't want to have people think less of me. But more and more, you're going to find that the gospel is extremely unpopular, at least the true message of the gospel. They were aware of their commissioning by God They've been entrusted with the gospel. God had approved of them. And they were speaking like an ambassador or a herald, somebody who was commissioned by the king with a special message to deliver to the people. That would change everything. And so Paul says, we've been entrusted like that. And here's the thing. When scripture talks about us, we've been entrusted with the gospel in the same way. We're ambassadors for Christ. We've been given a message of reconciliation to reconcile people to God. They didn't fear man. They didn't speak to please people. And by the way, there, there are many popular teachers today. They're engaging. They're popular. They draw big crowds. They might be very humorous and, and entertaining. And, and yet you wonder, okay, what's, what's, is there a speaking to draw a crowd, to draw popularity? In the world around us, the, the most popular people are not often the people we want to emulate. And yet, what does the world do? The world follows after people who are popular and seeking after popularity. It's a trap because it's one moment to the next, things could change. You know, you think about the influencers, the people who are famous, and, and they're striving to be popular, but it's a, it's a losing game because eventually they won't be, and yet everything rides on that, their income, their wealth, everything they're trying to gain by pleasing people. And Paul says, we didn't come like that. We weren't trying to draw a crowd. We didn't tell you things you wanted to hear. We weren't seeking to entertain you. We didn't flatter you. 
we didn't tell you five steps to a victorious life where you can have everything you want and need. He says, no, we didn't come with those kinds of words of flattery. We didn't come with a pretext for greed. What he means is we didn't come trying to gain a big crowd so that we could get a lot of money. God is our witness. We aren't looking for glory. They weren't trying to build an audience and get people impressed with them. No, they experienced the reverse. And by the way, when we seek to please God, people may not be impressed. The gospel is not popular. But man, so often there's just temptation, this desire to please, please people, to be popular, to fit in, to have people accept us. If we've been affected by the gospel and want to live to please God, who sent his son and please Jesus who came and died for us, then we're going to speak to please God. And as we see that God has approved of us, he's entrusted us with this wonderful treasure, that's going to make us not worry about whether we please people or not. The third mark of a faithful ministry we see is, is not only is there a boldness in our God to declare the gospel of God, there's a speaking to please God, but then we also see that there is affectionate desire in response to God. Affectionate desire for other people in response to God. The, the picture that he paints in, in verse 7 through 12 is it's, it's shocking because when you think of Paul, you think he's a little bit pugilistic. When you think of Paul, you think he's, he's bold and he's in your face and he's not ashamed of the gospel and he speaks to please God. He doesn't care what you think. But then you realize, how did he come? What was his attitude? What was his demeanor? How did he relate to people? Oh, my goodness. He says, we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. I, I, Talk about a picture of self-sacrifice, self-giving, with, with not getting anything in return except for poop. Just being, being real here. That's what Paul's talking about. This kind of love, this affectionate desire, like a gentle nursing mother taking care, not of somebody else's kids, but of her own baby. And that, that word taking care, it's, it's warming. It's, it's almost this picture of snuggling. A nursing mom giving of herself not expecting anything in return to a baby who can't say thank you, who will fill a diaper, who will cry, who will be needy, who keeps you up at night. But there's something about a nursing mother's care and affection and love. There's a bond, at least naturally. And so he says, that's how gentle we were with you. We, we held you close. We kept you warm. We fed you. That's the kind of attitude we had towards you. You know that. And he says, and so being affectionately desirous, I, they wanted what was best for them. Like a, like a, like a nursing mom once is so affectionately desirous for that baby, wants to give everything to that baby, wants the best for that baby. We were affectionately desirous of you. So because of that, he says, we were ready not just to share the gospel with you, but to share also our own selves. Now that, that word for to share our own selves, it's, it's a little, little word for soul, but it, it actually it means the, the breath of life. We were so affectionately desirous of you that we, we want to just give you the, 
the breath of life, our very own breath, everything we have. We didn't hold anything back. There's no restraint. And that's the marks of those who are faithful ministry. And he's doing this for believers, too. He's talking to the church. Do we have that kind of affectionate desire? Do we see that because of the gospel, we are just willing to give, you know what, not just give the gospel, but give ourselves in every way without limits to give our very life for the one who's given his life for us. He says, you remember, brothers and sisters, our labor and toil. That word for labor, it just means this, this beating of the breast with this sorrow, this trouble, this intense labor that's willing to take on trouble. And, and he says, we, we labored, we toiled, we, we, we went through difficult, hard labor, travail, hardship, distress. We labored, we toiled, we worked, we did what had to be done so we wouldn't be a burden to you. And while we were doing those things, we were sharing the gospel. So you think, well, I don't have time to share the gospel. Paul, Paul was... He was engaged in work, mending tents, working hard, toiling, day and night. And in the midst of that, he, he was proclaiming the gospel. People probably came into his shop, and he's talking about God. And the gospel was powerful and went out. They were, they were heralding, proclaiming the gospel, heralding the gospel, talking about this, this transformative news. And he, ta- he calls the church as witnesses. He says, you know how we lived. We lived upright lives. We lived, now he's not saying we were righteous in ourselves. No, we lived upright lives. We lived um, blameless, meaning that our conduct was unassailable. We didn't have any cause for censure in our behavior. And he says, not only that, we, we, we didn't just treat you like a nursing mom. We worked hard, we toiled, we, we worked day and night as we shared the gospel, and we were careful to say, let our lives be worthy of the call that we've received. And then he says, we, we told you the same thing. We, we didn't, we weren't giving an easy message. We were calling you, we were exhorting you, we were, we were challenging you, and yet the gospel still was not in vain. It bore fruit. He says, your witnesses, we were like a father with his own children, instructing, discipling. We exhorted, we challenged you, we encouraged you, we charged you, we gave you a commission that says, look, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then your life should show it. If it doesn't, there's a problem. And Paul says, that's how we encouraged and exhorted and charged you. Walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you. Here's the motivation. Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory? It was from this loving, paternal instinct, Paul says, that we encouraged and exhorted and admonished and charged you. Walk in a manner worthy of the fact that the king of all creation, the God of the universe, calls you by name. Walk in a manner worthy of that, is what he's saying. Walk in a manner worthy of the fact that he calls you into his own kingdom. God is ruling. He is reigning. He has all authority. And he calls you to come into that authority, to come into that kingdom, to be a part of that, to enjoy his good rule, to enjoy his good reign. And he says, walk worthy of that. You're not going to earn God's worth, but walk in a way that reflects that awesome privilege that we have. That we, he calls us into his own kingdom. 
But then he doesn't call us into his own kingdom. He calls us into his own glory. God is over all things. He is reigning and in glory and majesty. And he wants us to be a part of his own glory. That's astounding. He says, walk as if that's really true. Walk in light of that. Walk in the in light of the fact that, that he's calling you to his own royal power and dominion and rule, that he's, he's calling you to have a right to rule and reign in his kingdom. He's calling you to, to walk in the, in the power of the risen Messiah. He, he's, he's, he's inviting you into that kind of kingdom, out of darkness into the kingdom of light. If you've been invited by the current king of England, no matter what you might think of him, to come and to preside over his ruling, whatever he does. If, if you are to preside over state events with him, alongside him, your behavior would reflect that or you would be kicked out really quickly. But I think it would be enough motivation you'd say, I'm going to be on good behavior. I'm going to watch, like, how are they eating those little cucumber sandwiches or whatever, you know? And you're... <laughs> You'd be watching it in a way that you want to make sure that you pay homage to what you've been called to. He's saying you give honor to the fact that God, he's, he's called you, he loves you, he's invited you into his own kingdom. He's invited you into his own glory. And he says, we, we were, you were so dear to us that, that we didn't just share the gospel, we, we gave our lives to you. There, there was no holding back and I want to be like that. I want to, I, want, I want to be that kind of Christian who doesn't hold back. Who doesn't say, yeah, I'll commit to church. Sunday morning's good. I can't make every small group meeting because that's really tough. And sometimes I'm tired. Um, things are difficult. Life is hard. I'm, I'm not going to really get engaged in deep fellowship because that's uncomfortable. I don't like to be known. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a private person. I don't like being around a lot of people. It's difficult, it's challenging, whatever. Uh, we can come up with a thousand different reasons why we're not all in. And, and, and Paul says, I, we weren't like that with you. That's not what you're like. It, it was obvious that gospels had an effect. But, you know, sometimes people will go out from a place, go out from a church, and they were like, well, I, I tried. I visited. I didn't really like the music. wasn't so great. And you're like, well, it's perplexing to people who are, engaged like in our in our body when people come out from our body i'm not i'm not maligning them but when when people go out from my body it's confusing because you're like if this is our family this is our family we're paul's giving himself like a loving mother like a father and like i, I couldn't imagine leaving family why would why would we leave family but but if you're not engaged like family if you're only a half-hearted participant no wonder no wonder it's not had an effect and paul says that we weren't like that among you we weren't like that among you. We gave our all. And the gospel, it's, it's worth giving ourselves for in every way. And faithful ministry will be seen when we boldly declare the gospel. We want to please God. And when we are affectionately desirous for others' good. And we give. We don't have restraints. We have no hold barred. We, we give not only the gospel but our, our very breath of life. Seeking to please God who tests our hearts in response to God who has approved of us and trusted the gospel to us, who invites us into his kingdom and into his glory. So close, I want to read the lyrics to a song. And um, 
I like that Philip wasn't aware of this because his worship was all around the worth of Christ. So I want to read a song for Andrew Peterson and Ben Shive. It's, Is He Worthy? Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He was David's root and the lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is. Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does Jesus our Messiah hold forever those he loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave from every tribe and people, from every nation and tongue. He's made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of this? He is. Let's pray, and Philip, you can come up and we'll respond to the song.